again, ladies and gentlemen. Ghost Nobody here, ready to bring you Chapter 69, Giggity of Radiance, my Fallout fan fiction. I do hope you've been enjoying this little stroll through the Fallout universe that I've been creating for us all. And I do hope that you'll know, continue to stay with me as it continues to get towards its culmination. And if you can leave me feedback wherever you can, either at fanfiction.net, archiveofourown.org, or even at my own website, ghostnobody.com. It's always well appreciated. And if you'd head down to ghostnobody.com, you can pop into the ghostly links and follow it through to find yourself a copy of Mortis. You know, help me, support me, keep me doing this, keep me in the love of the alien women, shall we say. Oh, and keep yourselves in it as well, because you'll get to read a tale of a sexy alien cat girl in a zombie apocalypse with a one-legged human sniper. Hey, you can't say fairer than that now, can you? So, without any further ado, let's get on with this show, shall we? Oh, but first the usual legal disclaimer. I don't own Fallout or anything to do with it. This is all fan fiction. So, you know, Todd Howard can stop worrying about suing me and start worrying about Starfield and getting it out. Let's get on with the show, shall we? Chapter 69. Giggity. Spring in the steps. Corporal Fuller checked his weapon for the eighth time in the last minute. He was a professional, and he took that professionalism very, very seriously. It gave a healthy, in his opinion, dose of paranoia, and lived by the code of check and test, check and test. And when you're happy, check and test again. He'd been in Red Team Sniper since he'd been appointed to the ESF, or Enclave Special Forces. It was a constant source of pride for him as he worked fucking hard to obtain that position. Many soldiers applied for this honoured posting, but very, very few ever made the cut and ever made it this far as the Enclave took their security and safety very seriously. And applications, as well as the physical requirements to get there, were incredibly high. And most just didn't make the cut. Fuller was also the youngest member of Red Team. Having only been a member for the last six months, most of the team had been there for years, as entry into these very elite teams tended to operate on a dead man's boot situation. You could only get in when one existing member died or retired. Though, to be fair, very few actually got to the age where option two was actually applicable. Especially these days, where hostility was pretty much absolutely everywhere. He glanced around at the rest of the team, which was made up of eight members, of only which six were present. It was made up of six men and two women, each of them having a specialisation which allowed them to operate pretty much anywhere unsupported as they made their own connections. Fuller himself, as mentioned, was the team's sniper specialist. I don't like this. Command usually isn't this hush-hush when they send us out. Must be something big. Though, wonder if it's got anything to do with those two hits we took down in DC recently. Corporal Jackson, the team's electronic warfare expert, said, leaning back in her chair and folding her well-muscled arms behind her head while glancing at Fuller. Yeah, I was wondering that myself. Heard who the grapevines of the sack boys down there took a real oil beating. Heard we even lost that FOB we'd been setting up down there. Bet Commander pretty pissed about that one. Someone even said the town folks got themselves a fucking army of death claws. Can you believe that shit? Fuller said to Jackson, and she nodded. Yeah, I heard that too. Pretty fucked up if you ask me. But from what I heard, no one's going to touch that place now. Too much fucking risk. 
And yeah, I can really hear that if they've got those claws on a leash, then we're going to lose a lot of good people trying to take it back. And for what, really? Some hick town? Better to move on and find someplace else. We'll just come back later on when we got more people and fucking steamroll of the place, claws and all. Jackson said and Fuller nodded. Suddenly the door opened with a hiss and two figures strode in causing the entire team to snap to their feet and snap to attention. The two figures commanded the utmost respect of this elite team with just their merest presence because they had earned the right to lead it. Sergeant Riley, a tall and incredibly solidly built black man in his early forties with a set of eyes that could tear a man's soul from his body with a single look while at the same time being large enough that he looked like he was wearing power armour even when he hadn't even put it on yet. Next to him was a much smaller figure, but one that commanded no less respect. Lieutenant Fletcher, a six-foot-tall blonde woman who looks like her ancestors were Vikings by her white blonde hair and piercing blue eyes. To look at her, you wouldn't think she was one of the best tactical minds the Enclave had ever seen, but in her action against the Raiders, her actions were absolutely undoubtable. The Brotherhood and countless enemies the Enclave had all feared her. She had never once failed to complete her objective. At ease, people. Take a seat. This one's going to be an interesting one, Fletcher said, gesturing to the seats, and the team dropped back into the chairs, while Fletcher and Sarge stepped up in front of the room and started setting up a projector before inserting a hollow tape into it. Okay, people. We got ourselves a bit of a mixed bag here. It's part snatch and grab, half search and destroy. Now I'm pretty sure about the we you heard about the ass kicking we took down in DC already. No news travels faster than bad news. You order new boots and it takes six months for them to find the fucking paperwork. But you fart in a conference room and someone in a satellite station across the country would tell you how it tastes before you ring puckers the fuck back up. Fletcher said, making a few of them chuckle. She clicked a button and on screen flashed a few images of bodies piled hide of burned out power armour suit that were blatantly the older X or one models that a lot of the security forces tended to still use. Yeah, this is what they did. So as you can see, we're not dealing with amateurs here. We're dealing with professionals. These guys are terrorists, plain and simple. And they're very, very good at it. They're smart and they're careful. But not only that, they're brutal. This is their leader, said pressing a button and the image changed to a rather rather handsome man. But the image was kind of grainy. Looked like it had been taken through a long-range telephoto lens, most likely attached to an iBot. This is number seven. That's right, you heard me correctly. Now I'm sure you've probably heard the whispers floating around about the myth of this man. Well, here he is, ladies and gentlemen. Now, other than the power armour, you would probably be forgiven for thinking he doesn't exactly look like much. But I can tell you here and now that this man is the most dangerous one you will ever set eyes upon. And I can tell you this. Pray you see him before he sees you. Or he'll be the last thing you ever see. You see, number seven here is part of a group that was created by Dr. Chalmers of the Advanced Bioweapons and Psionics Department. That's right, people. Number seven here is a living bioweapon. He, for one, is in possession of telekinesis, which, for those that you don't know what that means, it means Mr. Seven here can interact with the world with nothing more than his mind.
Fletcher said in a very grim tone of voice. Fuller could hear the shock and tension of the shark intakes of breaths from his team as they all glanced about. But Fletcher wasn't done yet, not by a long shot. Now, put frankly, we're as good as good as we are. We have no chance against this dude. We simply aren't trained or equipped to deal with this guy. Or the other one that's part of this. So, ladies and gents, may I introduce you to number three? And if you thought number seven was bad, this girl is worse. Now, we have no current pictures of her. So all here we are, and for good reason. You see here, this is her body. And it's just a shell. Number three can become non-corporeal. Which means she's basically a living cloud of fucking smoke. Not only that, but she has a real talent for being able to infiltrate both machines and even people. Yeah, you heard me right. She can take control of machines and, we believe, people. So she's not someone with which you wish to fuck with. Add on top of that, being a cloud of gas basically makes her unkillable, Fletcher said. A hand went up down the row and Fletcher gestured to them. Fuller recognised it as McKay, a very softly spoken but incredibly strong man who was taken directly from the NCR. Used to be one of their rangers from what we'd heard. He was the team's tracking and hunting specialist. He was a one-man tracking beacon. So, how in the name of God above are we supposed to be able to deal with these people? And he didn't... Didn't you address them by a number, not a name? Does that mean that they were ours, like they're still part of that team? He asked. He was also incredibly observant, fucker, to say the least. Gold star there, McKay. Yes, indeed. These two were born of the very same department that's sending us on this job. And yet, yeah, it fails to us to clean up their fucking mess. But it also means we've got to cart around another two of them with us. But, before anybody starts grumbling, I don't want any animosity towards these two for the simple reason if there's any chance we're going to be able to take those two down, these are going to be the only people that stand between us and them. So trust me when I say we're going to need them on this. Because we're going to be fucking busy with the rest of the team. Because check this out. Fuller said, clicking to another image again. And it changed to one now of a large group that seemed to be made up of a multitude of species all gathered together. Let me introduce you to Seven and Three's team. You have Death's Claws, what looks like a Night Stalker, a couple of super mutants. No one has a clue what the fucking spider thing is. But what I can tell you is, these guys are dangerous as it gets. These guys took down Paradise Falls. And a witness report reads like a goddamn action movie book. Seven turned himself into some kind of pissed off angel and flattened the place like a living nuclear bomb. And somehow they didn't lose a single person or creature. And from what I've heard, the actual death claws have, they have, they are actually sentient and are able to speak English. But don't let that fool you. They're as deadly as it gets. Think about it. Lethal abilities and qualities of a death claw with the ability to think reason and plan like a normal person. Yeah, just let that think in. An animal that could possibly outthink you. This is why we're going after them. Our orders are simple. Tempt to capture anyone we can, but we have standing kill orders on every single one of them except seven and three. These are the only two we cannot touch. And honestly, I don't want anything to do with them. Especially someone who can turn me into a soda can inside my power armour with a single thought. 
So yeah, we're going to leave them to number 8 and number 9 to deal with, while we deal with the rest of the team. So, grab your gear, armour, and head to the hangar number 12. They gave us an MCV for this one, so they're going all out. So we're going to be out until the job is done, or we are. It's that simple. Well, wheels up in 30 people, so make it quick. All right, dismissed, Fletcher said. And with that, the sergeant her headed for the locker room with everyone else following in tow. Seven and Visa walked into the lobby of the house, and Visa really did have a rather swish in her tail and a bit of a spring in her step, as did Vess, who appeared with Chris a couple of moments later after them. Good morning, Auntie. You look very happy this morning. Visa said gleefully and with a smile that the flash between the pair. I feel wonderful this morning. It's all thanks to my beautiful human here. I haven't felt this good in years. Hell, I almost fo- felt what it forgot what it felt like to have a real swish in your tail. And now I see why both yours and Ven's tail swish so much. You're absolutely right about this human love thing, my dear niece, Ves said happily. Glad you think so. And now Passer skipping this morning makes sense. I thought he was actually dancing for a bit. And walking behind him is a nightmare now because I'm having to play jump rope with his bloody tail, Shepard said suddenly from her right and Vess turned to look at her. And as if waiting for his cue, Passer emerged from the kitchen humming and a happy tune to himself and actually dancing while carrying an oversized claw-sized mug of coffee. That's when he all noticed them looking at him and he stopped. What? Is there something on my scales? he asked, looking down at himself. Actually, now you mention it, there is something missing from them, Shepard said, heading over to the confused-looking claw boy as he looked down at himself again. What? he asked, looking around. Me, she said, pulling him down into a deep, surprised kiss right in front of all of them, which obviously made Vess a little jealous, as well as Visa, because one after the other they turned to their own human, grabbed them, lifted them off their feet and pulled them into a deep kiss of their own. Ven and Gregory wandered in during this little snog fest, and looked at each couple in turn before looking at one another and shrugging in unison before Ven suddenly snatched Gregory off his feet and pushed his entire tongue into his mouth, locking him into a deep, passionate kiss of his own. After the impromptu snog fest, each of the claws placed down their human mate, and they all walked hand in claw into the main hobby of the house but they found the rest of the team were actually already gathered. So, what's the plan now then, boss? Wisp asked from her favourite lounging spot on the back of Malachi's abdomen. Simple. It's time to get back on the road again, or in the air again, I should say. As nice as it would be to stay here for a few days, I don't think it'd be wife. The Enclave is not going to be pleased about the loss of this FOB, and sticking around here is not going to do us any favours if we want to stay out off their radar. So, our best bet would be continue onwards, down towards Boston. Now we have a cargo vertebird, things are going to get a lot easier for us. Oh, well, as long as we don't get shot down again, that is, Seven said with a bit of a smile. Then he turned to Gregory. How much fuel we got left in the big girl? Wisp asked, looking at him. Enough to make it there, but not much further than that. Let's... Pr- Pretty much tapping the tanks out at that point, and those are some pretty damn big tanks, but she is hauling a lot of weight. So unless we figure out somewhere to refuel her along the way, she'll get us about as far as the outskirts of the Boston area, and that's it, we're on foot from there, Gregory said thoughtfully. 
Savin nodded. Well, that'll have to do then, won't it? He replied. What's the plan when we get down there? Vess asked curiously as she stroked Chris's hair with her claws as he sat gently and proudly on her lap as they both took up one of the large couches that she was very much taking up the entirety of. It very much seemed to Seven that they'd accepted his new life as a claw lover and all the little nuances that came along with it. Well, I'm guessing there's a few things we can do when we get down there, but one thing that worth might be looking into is those synthetics of the Institute place supposed to be sending out. Didn't those rumours you and Riss overheard say something about them being sentient? So if that's the case, there's a good possibility this Institute is using them as some kind of slave labour. So that's going to stop right the fucking way. Another thing I also think we should look into is what the people were saying about those avian people that were duking out with the Brotherhood down there. Something tells me we might be able to get involved and broker some kind of peace deal. You never know. Seven suddenly saw lots of nodding heads. Well, all except for one. Faith. Peace with the Brotherhood? She snorted, obviously very sceptically. And Seven nodded. Well, that's the ideal outcome, yes. Look, I know you don't like the Brotherhood, and nor do you have any reason to, really. But I have to believe that there are good people within their ranks. People like Timothy here. People can be made to see reason. And if we can reach those people, then maybe, just maybe, we can set a motion of change in place. At the very least, we have to try, Seven said. Well, I don't like it. And I'm not going to pretend I do. I've seen the Brotherhood chase off and even kill my brothers and sisters. Even those they supposedly tolerate. They'll be racist towards. As far as they're concerned, we're nothing better than animals. Simply don't care a single fuck whether we are sentient beings. Hell, that even we are still human underneath this. We don't care about this. To them, this should be a world for humans and no one else. The only way you're going to change that is to show them in a language they'll fully understand. Force. Show them that their actions and attitudes have consequences. Bad ones. And then... And only then, you might be able to get them to reconsider their stance on things, she said defiantly. Seven glanced at Timothy, and to his surprise, he actually found him nodding. Care to chime in here, he asked. Hate to say it, but Faith is absolutely right. Now, I'm not saying we have to go and attack or go to all-out war with the Brotherhood. In fact, I'm hoping to Christ we don't have to. But at the same time, having been in it, I am a realist. The Brotherhood won't back down or back off, unless they're made to. So if we want to help these people, we're going to have to show the Brotherhood in no uncertain terms that any aggression they make will not only be met like for like, but with a force that they cannot or do not want to handle. That's the only way we're going to make them understand, and it's the only way we're going to force them into talks, Timothy said defiantly, surprising Seven, but he actually nodded in understanding of that. Well, I'd like to see what this thing about the new breed of claws is up, uh, up that place you humans call Nuka World is. Memory serves. That's also somewhere up near Boston, isn't it? Fen said suddenly. Well then, sounds like we've got a plan for a pretty solid basis there. Once those things are done, I think we should start thinking about a place where we can go and be out of the range of the Enclave. That was always the main plan to begin with, wasn't it? I don't think we should change that. 
Because to take out an organisation of that side with those kinds of resources, we'd need a fucking army. Better to find a place where they simply have no influence over, but to do as much good as we can on our way over there, Seven said, and the others looked thoughtful, thoughtful and then nodded in agreement. Well then, let's get moving, shall we? Seven said, and the team broke up to begin to pack up. Christopher took Vess up to meet his mother and sister, so they could introduce them to say a final goodbye before they left. He asked Seven and Visa to accompany them, so they could easily show how a human and claw love would actually work, as he didn't want to lie to either of them. Well, it worked, and while they were shocked at first, it didn't take Chris's mother long to really see just how much Vess actually loved and cared for her son. So a very touching scene of an emotional mother handed over the care of her only son to Vess, and made her promise on her life to care for him, love him, and to protect him on their journey which, while an equally emotional Vess promised her wholeheartedly to do, Seven couldn't help but love the emotional and tearful claws. He thought they were adorable. Once that was done, the entire town actually turned out to see the group off, and Seven felt rather embarrassed and a bit self-conscious, standing on the tail of the cargo vertebird waving like royalty. Hell, even the feral claws turned up to wave them off, thus cementing in Seven's mind that despite the fact they couldn't speak... They were every bit as smart as them, because they obviously understood what, understood what was happening. Especially, by the way, Ricky Claw and his little friend were both waving them goodbye now. Now he just had to figure out where to stash all the meat they'd been given as thanks. All right, people, let's get this bird in the air and let's get underway, Seven said, stepping out of his power armour before attempting to drop into his seat. Though he never actually made it, because before his arse touched the cloth... He felt a large scaly hand appear around his waist and he was promptly yanked into the middle of Visa's lap, which turned out to be equipped with a very long scaly seatbelt, made of a long massive tail which was promptly dropped straight into his lap to hold him in place. And to be stroked, of course. This was going to be a very nice trip indeed. OK, people, listen up. We've just received some intel from HQ. Seems one of those weird talking supercomputer things they've got over there just tasked a satellite, and it got a hit. Looks like they got their hands on a cargo bird to bird. So it looks like our initial hunt was right. They did steal a vehicle from that bunker. So that explains how they were able to get from DC itself all the way up there so fucking fast. We're tracking it right now, and the projections are putting them heading out towards Boston. And to say that they've got a serious fucking lead on us is an understatement. They'll be on the ground for at least six to eight hours before we get anywhere close to the place. So we're really going to have to amp up our game here, Fletcher said, pointing at some very grainy satellite photos on the projector screen in the back of the MCV. Any idea why they're heading to Boston, boss? Fuller asked and the lieutenant shook her head. Not as of yet, no. But we do believe their travel patterns since they initially escaped... This may have been their intended target all along. As to why, though, we don't know. Though what it is they're seeking down there is still a mystery. Unfortunately, this area is going to be pretty fucking hostile for us. We're on very thin on local assets. And, to say the least, there are numerous groups at play in the area. Though, at least, for the most part, they're pretty hostile towards one another as well. So, it's not going to be just like they're after us. The Brotherhood of Steel down there, and we're not sure which elder's now in charge after Maxim screwed the pooch and got himself killed. As well for the rest of them, there's a very well-organised militia group that call themselves the Boston Minutemen, 
operating in the area. Though from what our local assets report, they've got a great many settlements that need help. But for some reason it always seems to be like they're relying on one guy to do all the work for them for something. Fletcher said, scratching her chin thoughtfully. Anyone else need to watch out for down there, boss? The Sarge asked. Yeah, two groups spring to mind, but our intel on both is near non-existent. We've got patchy myths and well, whispers, to say the least. One calls themselves the Institute, and they seem to be responsible for the numerous synth sightings we keep hearing about. And we're hearing them from the Brotherhood's chatter as well, from people they have in Diamond City, which seems to be the self-proclaimed capital of the area. Apparently these robots, or synths as they refer to them, are near indistinguishable from a normal human. So we'll have to keep ourselves on our toes with this one. The other, we have so little intel on that they might as well be a myth. But we are positive that's by design. And they call themselves the Railroad, she said. Railroad, boss? What, as in the organisation responsible for moving freed slaves to the north during the Civil War? Fuller asked and Fletcher pointed at him and nodded. Exactly my thought as well, Corporal. For the whispers we've heard, seems these people are responsible for targeting the Institute's synths and freeing them. Though for what purpose, I have no idea. Not sure why anybody would want a free talky toaster. But hey, if I get some hard... Have at it, I say, as long as they stay out of our way. But we still have to be cautious of them. From what I've heard, they are very well equipped and very well trained. Plus, with all the underground movements, they specialise in guerrilla warfare and clandestine operations. We have no idea who's affiliated with them or not, as everyone just blends into the crowd. But we have seen pictures of scenes left over from their past ops, and they do appear to be very good at what they do. Not a trace of anyone left to be able to track them, she said. Hmm, maybe we could use them, boss, Sarge said, and suddenly Fletcher looked at him curiously. Care to explain that line of thought, Sergeant? she asked, and he nodded. Well, it seems to me like these guys will have eyes and ears everywhere. So, when you think about it, who better to help us locate our targets than the people with a network already in place for it, he said. Hmm, and what makes you think they'll help us? They don't exactly owe us anything, nor us at them, Fletcher asked. Sure, that doesn't mean we can't use them now, does it? All we need is for one of our number to infiltrate their ranks, and then feed them some misinformation. Like, for instance, number seven or three, or maybe both, are themselves synths, and they're being used as slaves, or maybe something along those lines. I'm sure we can think something up. Then we just sit back and let them do the hard work and find them for us. Because given number seven's past actions, something tells me he won't be quiet down there for too long. Selfish guy yourself too self-righteous. And about this crusade he's seemingly on. So he won't be able to resist sticking his nose in where he doesn't belong sooner or later. And when we does, we'll get to hear about it. Then we can either just scoop him up ourselves, or even better... Get the fucking railroad to provide a distraction by hitting them so we can swoop in and grab him in the confusion. Before they even know what got played, we'll be fucking miles away. Or, you know, number seven will wipe them all out and save us having to concoct some sort of cover story to extract our people. The Sarge said, and by the way Fletcher's facial lit up, she liked what she was hearing here. 
I like your thinking, Sergeant. It certainly would be very useful to have a local network like that at our disposal. Hell, with a bit of work we might even be able to usurp the whole thing and turn it to our course. Alright, good. That's a solid base right there. Alright, as for our infiltrator, I believe Corporal Fuller would be our best option. He is our sniper and covert operative specialist. So, I think this will be his area of expertise. So once we're on the ground, we'll secure ourselves a staging area out of sight of the local players. Once we've secured supplies, we'll then put out feelers and see if we can locate some whisper of this railroad. And from there, the ball will be in your court, Fuller. I expect nothing short of death or victory. Same as from every member of I, from this team, from youngest to oldest. Is that understood? He said, turning a powerful gaze upon Fuller. He didn't hesitate. He just saluted and nodded. Good. Well then, let's start going over these satellite images and looking for a good place to set up unnoticed. Last thing we need is the Brotherhood of our collective ass before we can even get moving. So let's get to work, people, she said. Yes, ma'am, they all chorused in unison before setting back down to the work with their own copies of the satellite pictures at their little desks. All right, people, we're pretty much bingo on fuel. We've got to put her down. Gregory called back in seven patted Visa's large thigh, and she lifted her sleepy head off his chest and looked at him with the most adorable sleepy face. Huh? What's going on? she asked in a sleepy voice. Time to land. Get up and get everyone ready, Seven said, sliding out of her lap and stretching himself out before heading over to his power armour once again. Once inside, he began walking around the cabin, waking the sleeping team and they began getting ready as he felt Vega agreed, starting the descent towards the ground. There was a bit of a bump as they touched down, and Seven immediately hit the ramp police, followed it, walking down it, and out into the clear night, with his weapon raised to check the perimeter. The area looked clear around them, so he beckoned the rest of the team down, though Visa was already stood at his side, ready to defend them anyway. All right. First thing, given the time, we need to find somewhere to hold up for the night. Possibly longer, if it's just decently secure enough. Did you get anything from the map on the way over, Gregory? Seven asked, and the young man came down the ramp alongside with Ven, both wearing backpacks now. Yeah, we're a few miles away from a small city of Concord, but if you're looking for something a bit quieter, there's a few old farms around here, and what appeared to be some sort of satellite station. Noticed that on the way in. It's just up that towards that direction, he said, pointing, and Seven went quiet and thoughtful for a few moments. All right, people, I think the satellite station be our best bet. It's going to have military-grade quarters, though we're probably going to have to evict some current tenants. And given where it is, it's probably going to be super mutants. So we'll either either convince them to leave, or more likely kick them the fuck out, Seven said, and he got a few nods in response. Hey, um, Visa, mind if I ask you a favour? Zixi asked suddenly in a slightly nervous voice. The big glog girl turned around and looked down at her. And what can I do for you, little one? She asked warmly. Um, would it be alright if I rode on Seven's back? Walking distance isn't exactly my strong suit. And if I'm going to be any use to the team, I kind of need to be fresh when we arrive. Plus, um... Our eyes aren't exactly very good in the dark, so I can't see more than a few feet in front of me. We have exceptional day vision, but piss-poor night vision. 
Sixie said, sounding highly embarrassed as she revealed a species trait. Visa glanced at Seven, who just shrugged. Fine with me. It's not like I'm going to feel her small frame or it's going to make any kind of difference to the power armour, really, is it? He said. So, as they tromped along, Sixie was sat atop Seven's pack looking pleased as punch as she got to ride along instead of having to trip over constantly and feel around in the dark, despite it being pretty clear of a night. But she wasn't the only one getting a ride along, as Malachi was beginning to look like a trusty steed crossed with a pack mule. As they'd been flying along, he'd been hard at work, and apparently knocked himself up a set of saddlebags, and indeed, a saddle. Somehow, the super-polite and ultra-helpful Arachnikai boy had managed to score himself some high-quality leather from somewhere, though Seven suspected it had something to do with the dresses he'd been stitching and fixing back in the temp home in the town. So now, as a result, there was a heavy-duty set of saddlebags and a very finely stitched saddle sat atop his rear ba- on his abdomen, which Wisp was now very proudly riding along on, as Malachi scuttled along. And it seemed the clever Spider-Boy had set it up so she could not only hold on to him for support, but had access to the bags at the same time. So there she was, clamped onto his back as he scuttled along, smiling all over his pretty face. When they finally reached the outer edge of the satellite station, Seven could already see the campus super mutants had set up as they neared the place. All right, people, stash the excess gear here. Zixie, can you tell me how many are in there? He asked, glancing up. She nodded and closed her eyes for a moment. Um, I sense about ten of them in there. Pretty spread out. Should be easy enough for us. They seem pretty simple-minded, to be fair. Hang on. Hmm. Yeah, that might work. Give me a second. Let's see if this works on them. Sixie said, and moments later there was a series of yells from inside the station, followed by bellowing, which escalated into gunshots that made them all flinch. It's okay. Don't worry, I got this, Sixie said into his mind, and the yelling seemed to get louder and louder, and there seemed to be what sounded like even more gunshots for suddenly a deathly silence descended upon the camp, and Zixie took a deep breath as she seemed to come out of a trance. Well, that sorted it. Damn, I'm glad that both Raymond and Sean are nothing like these mutants. Ours are good people, but what I saw in their minds really disturbed me. It was like pure anger at everything and anyone. But, to be fair, it did make them very easy to manipulate, Zixie said with a bit of a smile. Uh, what did you do? Seven asked curiously. Well, I, um, kind of just made them believe that all their friends had turned into members of the Brotherhood of Steel. So they kind of just shot each other to death. Even to the point where I convinced the last one of them standing that he himself had turned into a buckethead. After he saw himself in a mirror, he just shot himself. So, job done. We didn't even have to lift a finger or fire a shot. Though we will kind of have to do some cleaning now, so, yeah, sorry about that. Zixie said, and pretty much every single one of the group's mouths fell open like a row of dominoes falling. By the great saviour of spiders, you're a scary individual, Zixie, you know that. Damn, I'm glad you're on our side, Malachi said, surveying the scene, and the little alien grinned at him and winked. Well, I do owe Seven and all of you for getting me out of that living hell I was in. In all that time, you're the only people who would have actually accepted me for who I am and what I am without any kind of conviction. So yeah, I owe you guys. You saved me from the Enclave too, 
So, yeah, you guys have my loyalty. And just like any one of you, I'll do anything to keep this group together and its members safe. You can trust me on that, she said happily. The group made their way up into the satellite station properly now, and they were pretty disgusted at the full scene they found. But thankfully the mutants had somehow managed to completely miss the living quarters in the small bunker underneath the main station itself, and had only been living in the main station above. So, with a generous use of telekinetic energy to shift all the bags of meat and bodies out into the main fenced area of the station, where they were promptly set alight, the team set about scrubbing the place up to make it livable. Seven got the feeling they might be holding on to this place for a little while, and a secure staging area and a roof over your head was nothing to sniff at in the wastes. But, once the emergency clean was done, and Seven did have to admit it was rather funny to see Visa with an odd hanky bandana on her head and a stick fitted with sticky silk, thanks to Malachi, was pretty funny. In fact, Seven thought she looked kind of cute in it, and wondered if he'd be able to convince Malachi to make her a nice apron to go along with it. Though he did have to admit the sticky hanky that was on the end of her tail was pretty a very nice touch. Made her look like she was doing some kind of dance while she was using it to sweep up. Now all they had to do was figure out where they were going to go next from here. The main question was, where to start? And that really was the real question now, wasn't it? So that was chapter 69, giggity, ladies and gentlemen. Now, you got to meet Red Team, and they've got a new place down in Boston, which they finally got to after all this time. But, are Red Team going to catch up with them quickly? Are they going to be able to turn the railroad against Seven and his team? Or are Seven going to be able to bash through them and find find out the core of this team before they get to them? So I'll give you one way to find out the answers to those questions, and so many more. Going to have to tune in next time. So until next time, this is Ghost Nobody signing off and saying... I'll see you next time.